Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program, and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Loving God, we give you thanks and praise for all your love, for your graces and blessings. We thank you, Lord, for your blessed Mother. We thank you for her example, for her powerful intercession. And we thank you, Lord, for the spouse of our Blessed Mother, Saint Joseph. Thank you, Lord, for all the graces that you bestowed on him. Thank you for the example and the model that he is to the whole church, as a Christian, as a father. So we ask you, Lord, to be with us and to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. So as we look at this topic today on Saint Joseph, we may come to know you and love you more and more and understand the wonder of your creation and the wonder of your church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today we want to look at the life of Saint Joseph. Next to Mary, the greatest saint that God created or gave his church was Saint Joseph. And of course, next to Jesus, the person closest to Mary was Saint Joseph. Saint Joseph then is a huge figure in our church. And I don't think most of us really appreciate who Joseph is. I used to have a, a Salesian brother that used to live near my place and occasionally we'd meet up at prayer meetings and he had a great devotion to Saint Joseph. And he'd say to me, Paul, who was the greatest man that ever lived? I said, oh, well, I suppose... Jesus, brother, and he'd say, well, Jesus was divine. Who, who's the greatest man? And he said, Joseph, it's Joseph. <laughs> and he'd say to me, you know why, Paul? I'd say, no, why, brother? And he'd say, well, Joseph would turn around to Mary and say, Mary, could you prepare lunch for me today? I'm going to be working back. Or, And then he'd turn to Jesus and he'd say, Jesus, can you help me with the firewood? Can you help me around the place? Help me in the workshop? So in other words, St. Joseph was the one person who gently ordered Jesus and Mary what to do. <laughs> and of course, as his role as father, there's, there's truth in that. And obviously he did it 
all within God's divine will. But it's true, Joseph is a huge figure in our faith. Uh, I heard it said once that when the church matures to a place whereby we really can honour and recognise the significance of St. Joseph, the church will have come to a very mature place, a very, very deep faith. Because, as you know, we're still struggling to really identify who Mary is. We're talking about other possible dogmas of Mary that haven't been fully developed yet. So we're still coming to grips with who Mary is. I think it's a reasonable statement to say that um, in a future time we will develop this and of course the more we appreciate who Mary is and the more we appreciate who Jesus is we start to see the significance then of who Joseph is. When you think about it God the Father handed to Joseph the two things most dearest to the heart of God the Father if we could put it that way. One obviously his son Jesus and Mary, who was the greatest of all creation, has been and will ever be, both human and angelic. So when you think about it, God the Father entrusted both these priceless gifts to Joseph. That's huge. That's huge. John Paul talks about St. Joseph. He talked about the adventure of their pilgrimage, their co-pilgrimage of faith, the adventure of Jesus and Mary, how they shared it together. And he said, Joseph was the first to be placed by God on the path of Mary's pilgrimage of faith, the first to share in the faith of the Mother of God. And when he accepted as truth, coming from God, the very thing that she had already accepted at the Annunciation. Mary and Joseph had the distinction of being the first ever to see the Christ child with their bodily eyes. They were the first to behold with the eyes of faith the new and radiant vision of God made visible, the Word made flesh, the infinite made infant, the maker of heaven and earth now lying helpless in a manger. And like every human father, Joseph shared the authority of him from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth takes its title, as Ephesians 3.15 states. But unlike every other human father, Joseph took the heavenly father, the title that dignified him as his earthly representative, the vicar, the shadow, the image of the heavenly father. And of course that is unique. We can say that although Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, he was truly a father to Jesus and the perfect spouse of Our Lady. And of course, in the line of King David. So that's why Joseph has this beautiful model, not only for fathers, but also for the model for celibate religious. Joseph was rich in virtues. And there's a saying, you have to be strong to be gentle. And I think that's a great description of St. Joseph. But we mustn't forget that St. Joseph is the patron of the universal church, as declared by Pope Pius IX and Pope Leo XIII. So he is the church's spiritual father. Therefore, he's also yours and my spiritual father.
We celebrate St Joseph's feast day on March the 19th. And since 1955, Pope Pius XII instituted the feast of St Joseph the Worker on the 1st of May. And that was in response to the fact that the communists used to have these big May celebrations. So it was a, a beautiful way to to correct what work is, that we don't make an idol of work, but we see work as a means to serving God. So Joseph then has these two feast days. After Jesus and Mary, Joseph is the first in the order of veneration within the church. So after Mary... Joseph is the greatest saint. He's patron of us here in the church on earth, and he's patron of the communion of saints in heaven, and he's patron of the holy souls in purgatory. That's what it means when we say that St. Joseph is the patron of the universal church. Although Joseph was an adoptive father who protected the Redeemer, he loved him as his own son. And St. Thomas Aquinas, in talking about St. Joseph, said that God infused a part of his own heart into Joseph so that he could love Jesus as his own son, so they could have a truly father and son relationship. You know, it's hard to imagine the holiness of St. Joseph. He was not conceived immaculately like Mary, of course. He had a fallen nature. But in one sense, we could say he was the next best thing. We can put it in in a common expression like that. St. Joseph is powerful, he's relevant, and he's contemporary for you and me today. If we think back to the last vision at Fatima, the visionaries saw St. Joseph holding the baby Jesus, and they blessed the world simultaneously. So this vision then is linked to the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And this is this era of peace, which is a global event, but it starts within every heart and with every home. Fathers have to be a St. Joseph-like figure to their family. And we need this. Fatherhood has been so wounded over the years And I heard it said once, and I think there's a lot of truth in this, that two world wars did a lot of damage to fatherhood. World War I, World War II. Men would come home deeply emotionally scarred from these horrific experiences, not speak about them, just keep them in. And this wound just gets passed on from generation to generation. You only have to look at the wound that is being carried by men who have fought in the Middle East and come back. Very, very serious situation there, but that's another topic. St. Joseph then has a lot to offer us through his qualities of being masculine, peaceful, justice, firmness, but gentleness, strength and protectiveness. In Scripture, we see in Matthew's Gospel that St. Joseph is referred to as a just man. So in biblical language, this means that he was adorned with all the virtues. And Matthew stresses the justice of St. Joseph when he describes the doubt that tormented him when Mary is found to be with child. Joseph then has these wonderful virtues 
And we often talk about the humility of Joseph. And there's a bit of a joke that goes around that I always like. And it says like this, well, you know, if we take a look at the Holy Family, if Jesus was divine and Mary was without sin, then you know who they all looked at every time something went wrong in the Holy Family. You know, oh, Joseph again. <laughs> no wonder he was humble. But seriously, I mean, there's a certain truth in that. You would have to be very humble if your son was the son of God, divine, and if your wife was sinless, born immaculately conceived. It would take a great deal of humility to live in that environment. And yet at the same time, oddly enough, God the Father has given him a certain authority in that fatherhood figure. So there had to be great prudence and great wisdom in the way he exercised this. Truly, Joseph was an extraordinary man. In the Old Testament, we see a typology of Joseph in the son of Jacob, who also was called Joseph. Uh, you might remember we previously talked about typology, where we see persons that are prefigured in the Old Testament in preparation for the fullness of that message which will unfold in a deeper and more fuller way in the New Testament. We talked about Moses being a type of Jesus. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant being a typology of Mary. Well, in Joseph's case, we can say that Joseph, the son of Jacob, is a typology of Joseph in the New Testament. Just to recap the story, Joseph was handed over by his brothers, uh, they were going to kill him originally, but they handed him over to slavery where he ended up in Egypt. The brothers thought that he was dead. Of course, he befriends the Pharaoh and Pharaoh raises this humble man up to the highest position in the land and directed all his subjects to go to Joseph for all their needs. So that wonderful expression, go to Joseph, we see in Genesis 41 verse 55. When hunger came to be felt throughout the land of Egypt and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, Pharaoh directed all the Egyptians to go to Joseph and do whatever he told them. Has that same ring about it, doesn't it, as what Mary said to the servants at the wedding of Cana. It's interesting because we see where eventually the story goes. You might remember where the brothers come to Egypt in the time of the famine to get food. And of course, Joseph recognizes that they're his brothers. Even though his brothers tried to kill him and betray him, he reaches out, he intercedes for them. He reunites the family, brings his father to Egypt. Now it has that beautiful ending in the story. Well, we see that typology of the power of Joseph to intercede. Teresa of Avila had a great devotion to St. Joseph. And if we look in her autobiography in the sixth chapter, she talks about St. Joseph. Let me read it to you. I took the glorious St. Joseph for my advocate and protector and commended myself earnestly to him. And it was clear he who both healed me of this sickness and delivered me from great dangers that threatened my good name and the salvation of my soul. His aid has brought me more good than I could ever hope for from him. 
I do not remember once having asked anything of him that was not granted. God seems to have given other saints power to help us in particular circumstances. But I know from experience that this glorious Saint Joseph helps in each and every need. Our Lord would have us understand that, since on earth he was subject to this man who was called his father, whom as his guardian he had to obey, so now in heaven he still does all that Joseph asks. Others who have turned to Joseph on my advice have had the like experience, and today there are many people who honour him and keep on finding out the truth of what I say. So that's amazing writing from St. Teresa of Avila. And then later on, Pope Pius XI would confirm this when he spoke of an almost omnipotent power that Joseph still has over the heart of Christ. Later on in her writings, St. Teresa of Avila writes, All I ask for the love of God is that anyone who does not believe me will put what I say to the test, and he will learn for himself how advantageous it is to commend oneself to this glorious patriarch Joseph and to have a special devotion to him. In my own life, I can say that Joseph has certainly um, been a great intercessor for me. And especially, I turn to him in matters of work and in family issues, and he's always heard my prayer. We don't have time to go into this great detail, but can I recommend to you a wonderful book on the life of St. Joseph? In the church history, we have great mystics who have written marvelous works. Of course, they come under the bracket of private revelation, so we're not obliged to accept them. But there are some that really stand out as being particularly uh, rich in what they present. You may be familiar with The Mystical City of God by Venerable Mary of Agreda. Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich wrote on the life and passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, and much of that was put into the movie, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion. Well, there is a particular person who has written much on the life of St. Joseph, who claims that this was revealed to them through Jesus, who revealed this to them. In one sense, perhaps people get a little cynical in this day and age. We're reluctant to believe these things. But I have to say, after having read the book and highly recommended by other people who have read this book, we all come to the conclusion that it's very believable what's in here. It's very believable and fits beautifully with what we do know of Joseph that's come down through sacred scripture and sacred tradition. This beautiful book was written by a religious nun. She was the abbess of the Benedictine convent of St. Peter in Italy. Her name is Maria Cecilia Behi. B-A-I-J, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. She was an Italian and she was born in 1694 and she died in 1766 at the age of 72 years of age. Jesus appeared to her and impressed his sacred wounds upon her heart and commanded her to inform others about all those things which he would reveal to her. 
and she writes that if her spiritual director had not expressly ordered it, she would not have committed any of these things down in writing. Eventually, she asked Jesus not to make any further revelations to her, but Jesus informed her that she would have not only to write a treatise on his interior life, but afterwards she'd have to write on the life of St. Joseph. And although she never read anything on the life of St. Joseph other than the scriptures, in 1736 she wrote down the life of St. Joseph. And some ten years later, she says that in 1746, St. Joseph actually appeared to her after receiving Holy Communion. And St. Joseph said to her that she had written well about him. You know, like I say, you can be a little cynical about this, but we really encourage you to read it because it is a wonderful book. It really does inspire devotion to St. Joseph and really appreciate who the man was. This book, it has a Nilhad Obstat, an imprimatur, but, you know, also Pope Benedict XV, not 16th, Pope Benedict XV was very much a supporter of this book and very much liked what was written about St. Joseph. But again, we stress, it comes under the private revelation. I'll just share with you a few beautiful stories just to kind of whet your appetite on this. And if you want to follow it up, you can get the book. I might add the book is difficult to get. It's not easy, but if you do a search through Amazon, you can get it here in Australia. A mustard seed bookstore in Sydney has it from time to time, but it goes in and out of print, so it's not always available, but it's worth tracking down. One of the many beautiful stories that I loved in this book on St. Joseph where Sister Maria Cecilia talks about Joseph being a very prayerful man who was very high in virtues, lived a very simple life. When St. Joseph's parents died, he inherited quite a bit of property and he turned over most of that property he gave away and lived very simply. And he lived near the temple in Jerusalem. One night an angel appeared to Joseph and told him that in the temple there was a maiden who was most dear to God and for whom God had a special love and preference. Indeed, it was beyond mortal comprehension what a tremendous love God entertained for this human creature and that in her God found his greatest delight because of her rare virtues and admirable purity and holiness. This virgin was Mary, the daughter of Joachim and Anna, whom Joseph knew well, that's the parents, not Mary herself. And it was explained to Joseph by the angel that he was being told all this so that he might give praise and thanksgiving to God for the graces and benefits he had given to Mary, and also that Joseph might find joy in the realization that there existed on earth a creature so worthy and so pleasing to God. Joseph then was to pray and to give thanks for Mary. And God was very pleased with Joseph's prayers and gave Mary a definitive illumination concerning Joseph telling Mary of the piety of his servant Joseph and of Joseph's prayers for her. So Mary then began to pray for Joseph, imploring God to fill him with his love and grace. 
and God answered these prayers of Mary for Joseph's in a wonderful manner. So while they'd never met each other, Mary and Joseph prayed for each other, according to Sister Maria Cecilia, that although they never met, Mary and Joseph prayed for each other for a span of almost 10 years, loving each other in God through prayer alone. Just a beautiful story. And of course it goes on to say how they met and how they married to each other and to God. They took a vow of virginity and the story goes on, but we we don't have time. But I just put that in there just to whet your appetite and to get a sense of this beautiful book and also to get a sense of the holiness of Joseph. And I'd just like to end by sharing a, a wonderful story with you many of you may be familiar with, and that's concerning the mysterious staircase that exists in the Loretto Chapel in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in the United States. The story goes that the nuns there built a chapel in 1898, and when it had finished, they realized that there was no staircase built to take them up to the choir loft, which was over six metres above the floor. The carpenters were called in for advice and they said, look, it's not possible to build a staircase in such a small place because of the height that had to go up and the smallness of the chapel. The nuns were trying to get someone to build a staircase and they advertised no one was able to build the staircase. So the nuns did a nine-day novena to St. Joseph who, of course, as you know, was a carpenter. And the story goes that on the ninth day of the novena, a stranger knocked at the door and said that he was the carpenter who could help them build the staircase. So he constructed the staircase all by himself. It took him about six months. And the amazing thing about this staircase is that it has two 360-degree turns in it, but it has no central support. And it's not supported on the, by the side wall. It's a spiral staircase that has, that has two 360 degrees turns and no visible means of support. Also, the carpenter who built it did not use even a single nail or glue to construct the staircase. And the odd thing was he disappeared without even asking for his payment. So the rumour went around Santa Fe that the carpenter was, in fact, St. Joseph himself. So whether it was St. Joseph himself or whether St. Joseph sent somebody to create this staircase, I guess we'll never know this side of heaven. But this staircase is certainly can be referred to as miraculous. There are three mysteries about this staircase. Firstly... No one knows the identity of the person who built this staircase. Secondly, architects and engineers say they cannot understand how this staircase can support itself without any central support. It seems to defy the laws of physics. And the third mystery is, where did the wood come from? because they've checked and found that the type of wood used to build the staircase does not exist anywhere in the entire region. 
It's interesting also there's 33 steps, which, as you know, Jesus lived 33 years. So there's all sorts of interesting connections on it. Uh, You can go there today and you can see this staircase. For the last 130 years, pilgrims have been coming. 250,000 visitors a year go through the place today. If you go to the United States, check it out. You can go onto the web, actually, and if you do a a Google on St. Joseph's Staircase, you'll see lots of interesting articles. You can see photos. There's a website there from the nuns of their chapel there. You can see for yourself this amazing staircase. The point of all this is to encourage us all to, first of all, appreciate who Joseph is. And the more we know Mary, the more we will appreciate who Joseph is and his importance and to call upon his intercession for all our needs. And he stands there as a shining example of what it means to be a father, of what it means to be celibate, what it means to be a holy person. So we thank God for St. Joseph and for all his beautiful witness and example. We'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much for being with us. But as usual, please don't go away because we'll be right back with our special guest today who's going to share something of their own journey into deepening their love for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Today's special guest is Ginny Chung. Ginny is a postulant serving in the Franciscan Order, the Franciscan Immaculatine Sisters, and she's joined a very Marian congregation. This order has a very strong devotion to our Blessed Mother's Immaculate Virginity with the aim of imitating her purity, her virtues, and her role as mother. Ginny was originally born in Hong Kong, And then she grew up in Vancouver in Canada, and then in 2011 moved to Australia. I have her here on the line. Welcome to the program, Ginny. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Ginny, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, a bit of your background and how you come to be in a religious order in Australia in 2012? (laughs) I grew up in a very heavily Buddhist-influenced society. And I've been practicing Buddhism since I was young. And in 2010, I was baptized as, a, as an Anglican. And I was converted to Catholic in 2012 after I moved to Australia. Can you tell us something about your conversion from Buddhism to Anglican and then how that developed into Catholicism? I think it's all about God's calling from becoming an Anglican to a Catholic. I had a strong Anglican background when I was in Hong Kong. If I were not moved to Australia, then I would never be able to see the truth. And it's interesting that when I was working in Hong Kong, the organization have a 
very strong Christian spirit, and I was introduced to God during during that time. And it was my superior at work to invite me to all the Christian gathering. I couldn't say no because she is the partner of the department, <laughs> and I have to say yes because she is the one who do my appraisals. She is the one who give me promotion, salary raise. So after I, I went a few times and I saw people praying, they pray before they start the talk. They pray after the end of the talk. So I started to pray after I went home, and eventually God answered my prayer, and I, I, I just felt His presence. And since then, I have never stopped praying. So how then did you move from Anglican to Catholic? It's another interesting piece of story. I moved to Sydney, and I've been looking for an accommodation. And I'm praying that, oh, Lord, give me a flat that is close to uni, that is close to church. And God arranged me to live in an accommodation that is close to a Catholic church. So I was like, oh, that's all right. Same God, still same God. It was at that time that I got introduced to the Catholic Society. And it was interesting that whenever people pray to Mary, I also pray. But I, I say a different prayer in my mind, saying that, Oh, Lord, open their eyes and let them see the truth. Because as a Protestant, we do not believe in Mary. So I was thinking, oh, they say to Mary, that's, that's something that we shouldn't do. So eventually, it was me who got my eyes open and see the truth. Wow. And, Jeannie, how did that happen when you say you got your eyes open to see the truth about our Blessed Mother? Can you tell us something about that experience and how that happened for you? Because when I was a Protestant, I always asked, how do you know who is the true God? Because when I was young, I grew up in a Buddhist society, and I thought Buddhist was a God. But now I know that that was just a false God and idol. And so after I got to know the true God, the real God, the Creator, I always ask people, how can we distinguish who is the true God? People have been telling me that I have to be conscious with myself, whether I'm doing good deeds or I have become bad. So after I pray to Mary, I feel that I have internal peace, and I have the strength and courage to walk in God's way. As I was a Protestant, like, we have lots of Bible study. People fed us with the life of Christ, how we should imitate Him. And you know that knowledge deep in your heart, sometimes you just lack the strength to do it. Mm-hmm. After I get closer to Mary, our Blessed Mother, I just have the strength to do it automatically without any hesitation or any doubt. So I have been examining myself from time to time, whether I'm doing the right thing or am I doing things that make me farther and farther from God. Since the result is positive, the action, the behavior is so much better, then I am sure that that is the right thing to do. Jeannie, how would you describe your relationship with our Blessed Mother? I was very distant to her when I was a Protestant. I truly didn't know who she was, except that she gave birth to Jesus, whom we adore. But right now, after I get closer to her, I see myself living in her womb, 
I am her baby. She is nourishing my spirit and feeding me my needs and wants. I look up to her in a way that she's so special. She's so beautiful that she's so pure in heart. There was a time I asked mother, Mother, what makes you so beautiful? Can you reveal your face to me so that I can see your face, how beautiful you are? And what I saw is a heart. A heart is so light. It's so beautiful that she's telling me that the appearances doesn't matter. What matter is is to have a pure heart. So I look up to her in a way that I see her as my role model. And I try to imitate her virtues, like her heroic patience, her humility, her continual mental prayer, her angelic witness, and how she coped with the spiritual suffering. I did not come up with all these virtues. They were from a book that's called True Devotion to Mary, written by St. Louis de Montfort, which is a good book that, after I read that book, I draw myself even closer to her. And I always ask our mother to take care of me as her possession and property. Sometimes she's my spiritual director, while at another time she's my mother and my friend. Wow, that's beautiful, Jenny. Thank you. This is the year of faith, as you know, and what would you suggest to people who are listening to our conversation today? What would you suggest to them how to live their lives, especially in this year of faith? I would say seek to encounter Christ every day and in everything you do. Could you expand on that a little? Can you give us some examples of how you do that in your life? Yeah, sure. I think to spiritually encounter Christ is to pray often and contemplate His presence. I pray while I ride on a bus, while I'm eating, while I'm in the middle of class. I pray even while I'm in the shower and when I wake up in the middle of the night. Feeling His presence is the spiritual food that I always need to keep my spirit alive every day. So how I usually do it is like just... When I do not have time, I just say a quick prayer. Make your presence in me, O Lord. But if I, I usually make myself available to Him every day by saying the, the rosary, to encounter Him and to be embraced by His love and to receive Jesus and our mother's spiritual direction. Sometimes it's amazing. You won't feel anything while you're praying, but the spiritual direction just come right afterward while you are working while you are making decisions throughout your life. And it's always wonderful to pray as a family. I think to encounter Christ is to be united with Him. So when you pray, I always imagine He's sitting right in front of me, listening to what I have to say. Then I would just keep silent and wait for His response. And I usually waited with expectation. I tell Him that God... My heart and my ears are all open. Please speak to me. And I highly recommend family members to pray together with the presence of our guardian angel and the Holy Spirit among us. I think it's a truly beautiful thing that family can pray together. I am the only Catholic in my family. I always wish that I can pray with my family. But I just got nobody to pray with me. So if anyone in your family... Know how to pray, know how to say the rosary, pray together. 
Wow, Jeannie, that's great. Jeannie, you brought up some great points. I love the way you said that that as a Christian, you used to read the Bible and try and live the Christian life. But when you brought devotion to Mary into your faith, that somehow you were able to have the strength to actually live the Christian life. I think that's a really important point for all of us to take on board. And you mentioned about Mary being a mother to you, and you could tell that was very deep and sincere in your heart. And I think that's something that a lot of Catholics really need to take on board more, not just rattle off prayers, but really build that mother relationship that God has given her. Yeah. yeah. I always imagine myself sleeping in her room. Every night when I go to bed, I was like, Mom, i in your room. Take care of me. Wow, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you mentioned about beauty and about true beauty is purity of heart and I'm sure in the next life those who have purity of heart in this life in the next life will be the most beautiful of souls and you shared with us some beautiful things there on how to pray thank you so much for that well thanks be to God wisdom is from God our Father and our Mother and the Holy Spirit is not from me so Jenny thank you for your time and your wisdom today You're very welcome. And to all our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. Some valuable insights there that Ginny has shared with us. May God be with you all. And please join us next time on Our Queen, Our Mother, The Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. radio.org.au